It's great to see you guys this morning. I was wondering uh, how many of you would be here and how many of you would be at the Home Depot fighting over plywood <laughs> or trying to get those last bottles of water off the shelf at Publix. I know we got a lot of people who moved to Florida recently. I saw some of them in Target yesterday in a fever. They were in a feverish rush because apparently there's a, some activity in the Caribbean. Do you guys see this? A little storm is coming. And it uh, looks like it's coming our way, so we're going to see. There's not just a proverbial storm. There's an there's actual storm, <laughs> and, and it's on a, its way. But we're glad that, that you're here. We're excited for what God's going to do and what God's doing as a part of our church. You know, we've been talking the last few weeks about our, our uh, grace to grow, and I've been talking about our kind of vision as a church. And there's these three M words, momentum, mobilization, and multiplication. And so we're trying to maintain the momentum that we've been experiencing. We've been growing year over year and adding services and making room. And we found a way to get to about 300 people per service. And so we're continuing to fill our services. But the only way we can fill up to 900 is if we have exactly 300 in every service, which is not typical and not easily done. And so one of the ways that we're trying to make that more doable is by adding just 15 minutes between the services we have now so people can get in and get out. And so we're keep just nudging those later into the day. So we're going to be, as you saw in the video, at 9, 10.30, and 12 noon, starting on 10.9. Kind of like a countdown. That's your cue to remember. 10, 9. That's your countdown to new service time. So if you don't get that, you're going to show up really late or really early, depending on what service you try to go to. So 10, 9, we're going to three different service times. And people keep telling me uh, no one's going to go to church at 12 noon. They keep saying that. And I go, you are. That's what's going to happen. I want you to go to church at 12 noon. So your new family tradition is brunch at Cracker Barrel and then church at lunchtime. That's what I'm asking you to do. Listen, uh, listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, I also just tell people the coolest people go to church during third service anyway. So come meet them. They're awesome. You'll love them. So we'll be uh, 10-9 at 9, 10-30, and 12 noon. And that's going to give us more time to get in and out, more time to interact with each other, uh, meet some new folks, and be less hurried. Amen? Amen. So that's our momentum. Mobilization, we're looking for places for everybody to use their gifts inside and outside of the church. The way that we get our mission done is by mobilizing every member. And so if you're a part of the Christchurch family, we're going to be pushing you to step into your God-given calling and gifts and use them for the good of other people. 90% of that's going to happen in your life outside the walls of this church. And you are going to be dispatched to be a blessing to people using the gifts that God has given you, and some of that's going to happen on Sunday mornings, and so we're trying to staff teams. Now, you may have taken a personality test or a spiritual gifts finder, or one of those little things can be helpful, but nothing will help you know your gifts and calling better than trying to serve in places. And so if you haven't volunteered as a part of a team, that's a great way to learn what you're called to do, and maybe also what you're not called to do. I don't know. But you sign up, you can put out donuts and make coffee or welcome people at the door or hold other people's babies. You'll very quickly find out what you're called to do and what you're not called to do, okay? And so we're looking for people to mobilize. And just as a disclaimer, uh, if you've ever been in church where you signed up for something and then you didn't like it, but you were stuck doing it for 12 years until you left resentful, uh, we are not that church, just so you know. We are all about quitting. If you quit the right things, if you're not supposed to do it, you should not be doing it, you know? And we'll tell you too. We can all tell that you should not be doing that. It'd be like, you're scaring the children. Try the donuts. You know, we'll do it. We'll do it together. So sign up for something. If it doesn't work out, try something else. So uh, when you leave today, you're going to get a card that says, mobilize me. And just prayerfully consider where God wants you to start trying to find your place. Uh, it's going to be here part of the time, out there most of the time. But step into what God is calling you to do. Amen? Amen. And so we're trying to be 
But maintaining our momentum, mobilizing every member, and then we're, we're a church that's about multiplication. Now, we talk about church planting. That's way in the distant future. We're also talking about disciple making, and so disciples make disciples, and so there's multiplication there. But we are also, this morning, celebrating that old-fashioned multiplication, that be fruitful and multiply multiplication, because we got baby dedications in third service. How excited are you guys for that? We got some blessed families in the house and uh, I want to invite our families who are having their children dedicated to come up here to the front of the room so everybody can see how beautiful you are and how, how adorable your new baby is. Can you guys come up? And anybody who's with your families um, and wants to join you, they're welcome to come up here. I know sometimes people get a little nervous to step up front at church, in front of everybody, people taking pictures. But I want to let you guys know, baby dedication in some form is, happens in a lot of different religious traditions. And it's kind of three things that we do. The first is that we are dedicating our children to the Lord during the interim in which they are just kids. And they don't have a faith of their own. And we're saying, God, uh, we want these children to be your children. And so we are dedicating them to you. But secondarily, we're also dedicating ourselves to our children. As parents, we're saying it is our intention to bring up our children in the fear and nurture of the Lord, to teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus and to have faith and to be who God's made them to be. You're intimidating me with that stare. I hope you know that. <laughs> and then, he's not going to cry. And then the, the third thing that we're doing, because we're doing this in church, is we're, we're dedicating ourselves to each other. We're saying, like, we're in this with you. And in various ways, some of you know these families very well. Some of you have never seen them, never met them. But if you're signing up for kids' church or you're serving around here, you're going uh, to have a hand to play in the teaching and care and encouragement of the people that you're in church with to varying degrees. And so part of what we're doing today is all about saying to God, these are your children and we're entrusted to them. You, we want to be the parents that you've called us to be. And we want to do this together to the degree to which we are connected and interrelated. Does that make sense? And so this is a prayer that we're going to pray and a blessing that we're going to proclaim. And um, I want you guys to be right at home. Oh, also, Christ Church is a, is a baby noise church. I don't know if you know that or not. If you're a person that's annoyed by baby noises, there's other churches that are that way. Because <laughs> there's babies. Just want you guys to know that. It doesn't bother me at all. And if it bothers you, you may, you may look for an old church with more whiteheads. All right. Um, and, um, and we're blessed. We, we really feel blessed by who God's got here. And oh, my goodness, they're beautiful. So um, you were going to say a blessing, right, over your daughter? Mm -hmm. I would love for you to do that. And as an uh, extension of everybody else, let's, let's, this is a big deal. Not everybody wants to talk. Usually they're terrified when I ask them if they want to. So um, let's listen to, to this blessing. Thank you. you. You may have a preacher or a singer right there. She wants that microphone. She's, 
This is from the uh, Book of Common Prayer, Blessings to the Children. It says to the children, may you find the presence of Christ, your clothing and protection. And year by year, may the knowledge of his presence be greater for you. That daily you may put on Christ and walk as his own in the world. And then to the parents, it says, may God make clear to you each road. May God make safe to you each step. Should you stumble, hold you. Should you fall, lift you up. When you are hard pressed with evil, deliver you and bring you at last to God's glory. God, we thank you for each one of these precious children and these families. God, we thank you that you made us a part of your own family, adopting us in by your fatherly love and keeping us safe, blessed, and protected. Lord, we ask your rich blessing and the anointing of your spirit to be on each household and family represented here. Lord, that you would give the gift of your spirit to strengthen parents to raise their children and to fear in, in the nurture of the Lord and to lead them to the many blessings you have for them. God, we need you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, but we yield ourselves in faith to your word and to your will, and we dedicate these children to you. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. And that's a great photo op, by the way. I know some of you got some video here, but if you want to get a picture, you're welcome to do that. Beautiful. Can you guys show some love to our families? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, you can have a donut. You were so good. <laughs> All right, if you have your Bible, would you open to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. The title of this morning's sermon, and this is a standalone sermon. This isn't a new series yet, but um, the, the title of the sermon is Be Filled. Somebody say, Be Filled. Be Filled. Ephesians chapter 5, be filled is a phrase found in verse 18, but I want to read starting in verse 15. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Anybody feeling like the days are evil? So the apostle calls us to look carefully how we walk. How? Carefully like a barefoot parent through a darkened playroom. That's how you should walk <laughs> through these last days. Be attentive, careful. Verse 17. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So not only should we be attentive, but we're called to be thoughtful, to give careful thought to the world we live in, the purposes of God, in general, and his specific purposes for us, not to be foolish and to go off into foolhardy ways, but to be dedicated to the Lord, to be attentive, to be thoughtful. And then in verse 18 says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but, somebody say, be filled. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so here we have an imperative, 
be filled. But it's a passive imperative. It's something that happens to us and is for us. And this is what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to the church today. It's contrasted here in verse 18 with getting drunk with wine. Some of you are like, oh, we're doing the wine sermon today. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> Some of you legalist people, you're like, I'm not, I'm not really a wine person, so it doesn't say with vodka, so I don't have to worry about it. It's not, <laughs> it's not for me. That's not my drink of choice. No, no, no. Now, no, there's a contrast here between what people run to when their problems have no solutions. Oftentimes those end game solutions are sought at the bottom of a bottle. And what's down there is only more and worse problems. And so instead of that, we are called to be filled with the Spirit. And so this morning I want to consider what that is, how to do it, and how to receive what God wants us to receive. But first let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that's been read in our hearing. God, it is breathed out by your spirit, spoken through the apostles, preserved throughout time. And this morning, read in our hearing, it is, it is em empowered in our thinking, in our minds. God, made alive and active. Lord, attended by the work of your Holy Spirit among us. And I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you are saying to us this morning. God, for, for those of us who find ourselves empty and missing something, I pray, Lord, we would learn how to be filled with your spirit. Lord, for those of us who misunderstand and have been walking in a battle according to the flesh and not according to the spirit, God, I pray that you would teach us what it looks like to crucify the old man and to be made alive and to walk according to the spirit that's been given. Lord, I pray that we would encounter you the living God, and we would be transformed. God, only you can do this. And so we just ask you to do what only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. If you're having family dinner this week, we, we eat dinner together as a family most nights. And um, there's a moment of silence, which is not common in the Jarvis household, especially dinner time. And the silence was broken by... The sound of a fork being scraped across teeth. You know that sound? You know, some of you, like, you all eat like that. It doesn't bother anybody, but there's always that one person that's like, Whoa. So Tiffany spoke to one of our children and said, don't scrape your fork across your teeth, please. You get that from your dad, she said. <laughs> and she's right. They do get it honestly. Uh, from their dad by impartation. That's how I always eat, and so that's how they eat. And so I've been trying to stop for years, but it's pointless. I'll never change. <laughs> and part of the reason I eat like that, and I was trying to explain this to the kids, but they weren't listening, was <laughs> that I grew up hungry. I grew up hungry. I was in a big family with a small paycheck, and we ate all the food every meal every day. Any of you all grow up like that? I remember when I was a kid and the first time I spent the night at a friend's house and they were like, I was like, what are we having for dinner? And they're like, uh, leftovers. And I was like, what is that, German? What are, I was like, what are leftovers, you know? And they were like, they were like, that's the food we didn't eat yesterday. I was like, what? Why, why would you do that? You know, it just blew my mind because we ate all the food there was. And the, the rule in the Jarvis household was he who eats the fastest eats the most. You guys know how this works? So when the food is piping hot, 
The only way not to burn your lips is to scrape it off with your teeth and swallow it. And that's what I did as a child. When Tiffany and I met, we started dating. I was 18. And uh, I would eat feverishly and make many grunting noises. It was very, it was, it was, I was raised by wolves, folks. Really, I was, honestly. She was like, uh, I mean, I would finish a meal in like 45 seconds. We would go to dinner, they would bring the food, and I'd be like, rah, rah, rah. she'd be like cutting, staring at me like, wow, you know? Like, so I've tamed down a little bit, but I still scrape. And it's, uh, it's because I was, I, I was raised hungry. I mean, when I was a kid, I was always hungry, went to bed hungry. So you know, all of us went to bed hungry like as punishment, but it was a regular occurrence for me. And um, so I was hungry. When I was 15 years old, I started dual enrolling at the community college, Daytona Beach Community College at the time, now Daytona State College. My sister was two years older than me, and she was in the photo program, so she had these, like, three-hour classes and all this lab time, and we shared a car, so she would drive us there. I would go to my hour-and-a-half class and then be stuck in the photo department for hours and hours and hours. And so I would walk over to the cafeteria at lunchtime, and I'd buy one of those little sad pizzas. I don't know if you've ever seen those, if any of you guys went to community college, and you're like, like $3.99 for the smallest little personal pizza you ever saw. And I would eat my depressing pizza and still be hungry. One day her friend uh, said, hey, um, I, I want a sandwich, and if you will go over and get it, I will buy you a sandwich. I was like, which way do I go? You know, I was hungry. I was ready. And uh, so he sent me to Sorrento's Deli. How many of you guys remember Sorrento's when it was open? Uh, in the little strip mall across, and I'd walk across Clyde Morris. And I uh, was walking to get our sandwiches with a little pep in my step. And I came across neon lights that changed my life. And they said, all you can eat. <laughs> Next to Sorrento's Deli was a Chinese buffet. And I did not know that was a thing, okay? I was sheltered. And so the next time I was at school, I did not go to Sorrento's. I brought my $7.41 to the Chinese buffet. And I tried to put them out of business. That's what I did. <laughs> the first time I went, I was like nine plates deep with food. And I just ate and ate and ate and ate. And I did this every Tuesday and every Thursday for weeks until finally I was asked to leave. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. You go now. You've been here four hours. That's what they said. No more shrimp for you, rice only. That's what they said. That's what it sounded like. I'm not even kidding. Sign says all you can eat, but not forever. <laughs> we are getting ready for dinner. You go. That's how long that lasted. If you're of Asian descent, I apologize. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. I'm an equal ethnicity offender, by the way. If it was Russian accent, the restaurant, I would build the, uh, the Russian accent for you, you know? I do this one at home when my kids misbehave. They say I sound like Gru or something. I don't know. <laughs> Stick around long enough, you'll hear them all, you know? <laughs> I was hungry, and I'll never forget just the, the wonderful feeling of just pushing away a stack of plastic plates, unable to eat any more food. I was like, this is heaven on earth, you know, and uh, I was filled, and that was, that was, that was the difference, and um, most of us, we understand physical hunger and the wonderful feelings of full, you know, Thanksgiving is coming, you guys are looking forward to a four o'clock dinner and a turkey coma, I don't know why we do it like that, but we know what it is to be filled, do you understand this? The problem is, many of us have not learned to identify spiritual hunger. 
And like me, growing up a hungry kid, we're living Christian lives plagued by hunger pains that we do not understand nor interpret correctly. When in fact for us, the solution to our many problems is present at surface cursory reading in the scriptures and we are invited by God, in fact commanded by God, to receive from him what truly gives life. We are called to be filled with the Spirit. Now how many of us are walking through life unable to forgive a person, bitter or resentful, filled with anxiety, plagued by anger, in cycles of addictive and destructive behavior, going from one season to the next, making the same mistakes again and again and again, and we don't recognize that that is evidence of spiritual hunger. We don't recognize it. And so we run to things that will not satisfy. We will run to things that will temporarily numb, but ultimately amplify the very problems we're trying to solve. And so it's the most gracious thing the apostle says here. He says, don't, don't get drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery. You do worse things when your worst self comes out. And it doesn't solve the problem. Conversely, he says, though, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I, I know, because I've been in Christian circles a long time, that there is a bit of confusion around the nature of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, and the baptism of the Spirit. And therefore, there are categories that many of us have in our minds that result in implications that keep us from being filled with the Spirit. And I'd like to unlock a few of those for you this morning, and I want to give you a little bit of information to do that. It'll be simple and short. But I also recognize that saying something like be filled with the Spirit sounds simple enough, and yet many of us can leave going, yeah, but how do I do that? Is there a be filled with the Spirit for dummies book at Barnes & Noble? And so I want to answer that. But mostly I want to leave us with an opportunity to respond to God's invitation to receive one of his most precious gifts. And position ourselves to benefit from the miracle that he wants to do for us and in us and ultimately through us. So can we do that together? So I want to give you some information. I want to give you some instructions. And I want to give you an invitation. And we'll see how long that takes. All right, information. How many of you guys are familiar with the phrase, the baptism of the Spirit? Raise your hand. All the Pentecostals have their hands up first. They're used to raising their hands in church. All right. Uh, the baptism of the Spirit is a phrase introduced in the Gospels that carries through Acts and is mentioned in a handful of places and in our day and age in Western evangelicalism has become synonymous with Pentecostalism or charismatic theology and also this movement of the Spirit. But there are four distinct views on the nature of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they are detailed in a book called The Four Views of the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a good title. And uh, I'm not going to, this is not a Sunday school class, I'm not trying to make an a, uh, apologetic for every one of the views and then tell you uh, which, what, what are their strengths and weaknesses. I'm just going to tell you which one is right. How about that? Should we skip to the end? Because um, each of them have some things they're right about, but ultimately they, the ones where they're wrong end up being destructively wrong. And so I just want to point this out to you. So the first one of them is called cessationism. And this is in a lot of reformed traditions, so if you come from a, like a high church or liturgical background, 
a, a lot of Protestant Reformed churches are cessationist. And what they mean by that is that the gifts and the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit in our day and age, after the end of the first century, ceased. And so, yes, we read about a lot of signs, wonders, healings, prophecies, tongues, all of these miraculous gifts and things that surrounded the birth of the Christian church. And those were real, but those were for a purpose. And then they came to an end when the apostles died and when the scriptures were complete. And that is called cessationism. And they would see the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a phrase that is synonymous with regeneration or salvation. and has to do with when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive eternal life, but we are also baptized in the Spirit. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ, and our, our bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit. And that is what it means, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. On the other end of the spectrum, there are Pentecostals. And Pentecostals uh, stem from some revivals that took place in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And these Pentecostals experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And during that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they, who were previously apparently unbaptized by the Holy Spirit, encountered the presence of God in a way that manifested itself similarly to the second chapter of Acts and the 10th chapter of Acts and the 19th chapter of Acts. And they concluded that this is the baptism of the Spirit, and it is a post-salvation, secondary experience by which genuine believers, saved people who are in Christ, are in, in, endued with the Holy Spirit and receive Him as a gift, and that is attended by the speaking of tongues as the sign gift that that baptism of the Spirit took place and was legitimate. Now, there are some people who come from that tradition, and then they come to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 30 that says, all people don't speak in tongues, which means tongues can't be a sign for spirit baptism. And so they are the charismatics. And so they would say, yes, it is a post-conversion secondary experience, but it may or may not be attended with the gift of tongues. And then there's this other group who's stuck in the middle, deep in the muddy middle. And they say, wait a second. Obviously, baptism of the Spirit is synonymous with regeneration throughout the Bible. And if you read it, it's very clear. The baptism of the Spirit is a thing that describes the work of Christ after the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. And is connected to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit is a thing that is said to happen, but it is never once commanded. Did you know that? No one's ever commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so they go, okay, this is obviously true, but it is silly to think that the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit have in any way ceased. There's no evidence in the scriptures to say that that should happen. And if you are living in a little myopic world where that isn't happening, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not happening anywhere. And so that can't be right. Cessationism is wrong. And then you come over here to the Charismatics and the Pentecostals and you go, but baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't supposed to be this secondary thing. And in fact, if you have that, you create this two-tiered Christianity. You have the carnal Christians and the spirit-filled Christians. And anywhere there's a two-tiered Christianity, you have a wrong Christianity. And so this group of people said, it looks like baptism of the Spirit is synonymous with salvation, but there's this thing we're missing. This thing that the Bible sometimes calls the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit. And every Christian is invited to experience again and again and again this filling of the Holy Spirit. And so some people know what it is, but they're calling it the wrong thing. And some people know what it is, but they're afraid of it, so they're pretending it doesn't exist. Like a child playing hide-and-seek with their hands. You can't see me. And so here's the reality. The baptism of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is, in my opinion, which is the right one, synonymous with salvation. However, 
There is more to experience from God that people often call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the implication. If you're over here and you think in cessationism that there's, God's not going to do anything miraculous or powerful, are you ever going to experience anything miraculous and powerful? Not likely. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. But if you're over here and you're thinking that the baptism of the Spirit is this one thing that happens this one time and it's attended by this one gift and then that happens, are you thinking it should happen again and again and again? Not likely. And if you're a part of a group of people who think it is this one thing, but it doesn't necessarily have to have this one gift, how many people have grown up in churches where they went to receive this thing God wants to give them and nothing happened to them and they feel like I'm either outside of the family, outside of the club, I'm missing something, it didn't happen for me, God doesn't want to give it to me, and it's all wrong implications of thinking wrongly about the baptism of the Spirit and the nature of Spirit filling. I had a friend who was telling me recently how he got turned his life over to Jesus and he went to a church and they prayed for him to receive the Holy Spirit and they kind of prayed on him for like three hours until he got the gift of tongues and he was not getting the gift of tongues and so he faked tongues so he could leave and then he never came back that's a swing and a miss Jesus people you know that's not the point so you I'm not going to try to dissuade you from your previously held beliefs I'm not that powerful but I don't want you to suffer under the implication of thinking wrongly about the things the Bible's talking about. And I do want you to receive everything God wants to give you. Now, Christ Church is made up of all kinds of mishmash of theological people. We got Bapticostals, and we got Methodics, and we got Presbyterian-ish. Like, we got everybody up in here. So, I don't know how you think about this. But listen, God wants to give you more of himself than you can imagine. And the command is a present Passive imperative. It means today, be filled with the Spirit. Today, receive what God wants to give you. So I'm going to give you some instructions about how to do this. I skipped over a ton of scriptures I read in the other services because I'm using up too much time. But I will send them in the notes if we have your email and you can have them for your further reference. Number two, instruction. How, how do we do this? How do we be filled or get filled with the Holy Spirit? Spirit. This is a phrase that's laid out in Scripture. We see in Luke Acts, Stephen, full of the Spirit. Peter, filled with the Spirit. Paul, filled with the Spirit. And so there's activity that's happening among and by whom who are filled with the Spirit. But how do we get that Spirit? So I'm going to give you two sticky phrases, and hopefully these will stick with you, and they will help you. You ready? Number one, receive him, don't grieve him. Receive him, don't grieve him. The Scriptures continue to talk about the Holy Spirit, in, in the Holy Spirit being a person of the Trinity, unknown to the Old Testament. They knew the Spirit of God. He interacted around people. He came upon certain people at certain times. He was in. He was out. He was doing things, but he was enigmatic and misunderstood. But now the person of Jesus has come, and Jesus has made the Holy Spirit known. He has sent him, and now Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection and ascension, has commissioned the Holy Spirit to fulfill the building of the kingdom through people filled with the Spirit. And so this is why it's important that we are filled. And so we've got to receive Him. And this means the Holy Spirit is God's precious gift to you. Now, here's the good news. You may be thinking to yourself, I don't know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know how to receive a gift? Do you? Some of you don't. Some of you are bad at this. I got friends. They don't like to get gifts. I'm like, what do you want for your birthday? Oh, nothing. Don't get me anything. Just come to dinner. Don't bring me anything. Don't be like that. That's dumb. <laughs> Take the present, right? I love you and I want to give you a thing. What, what can I get for you? You know? People have a hard time taking gifts. Some of you are here. You're like, I don't do gifts. I, don't, I feel funny. I don't like to take things. Take it. Take the, I love gifts. Get me stuff. 
You know what my birthday is? You want to send me a card? I love gifts. I feel loved when you send me things. I'm, I'm not going to lie. We got to learn to receive a gift. And here's how you receive it. Uh, someone gives it to you, and you take it. That's not that complicated, is it? Now, sometimes, though, we have this misconception about what the Holy Spirit's like because we've been around some weird people. And we think God's good gift is like a jack-in-the-box. Like, here, I got you this thing. Ding, 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 You know, like, oh, I don't want to. I'm afraid. Here, you take it, you know. But the, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of God's best gifts. It's the gift of himself. It's the gift of God's presence on the inside of you. His voice leading you. His power comforting you. His strength sending you. His words in your mouth and in your heart. His, his power transforming you. And listen, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you know what you were left with? You! You weren't doing a good job of this before you met Jesus, were you? The Bible talks about walking according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. And to be a Christian is to crucify the flesh. It's to say that old man on the inside of me with those old impulses and desires, with those old patterns, the ones that would get stressed out and go to the bottle, that guy, not, not to be in the driver's seat, okay? And so we put him to death, but now we have to walk according to the spirit. What if you don't have the spirit? Where are you left? And so you end up in this bouncing back and forth. And so we got to receive the Holy Spirit. He's one of God's good gifts. Luke 11, 9, 13. And I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. God is not reluctant. He is generous. Do you see that? Do you see it? Are you awake? Is anybody awake? Yes. Amen. So, so, so God is not reluctant. If you ask him, he'll, he'll say yes. If you knock on the door, he will open it. If you are looking for something, here you go. Do you see that? It's very simple. And then there's an illustration. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, would instead of a fish give him a snake? That's a mean dad. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, none taken, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see how eager God is to give you the Holy Spirit? John 3.34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. God is not stingy or cheap. He's not measuring. We do this with our kids. Can I have some M&Ms? You can have four M&Ms. You know? Because we're like, oh, it's not good to put the, the, the M&Ms in them. That's bad. That's bad. So you can have four. But God says it's good for you to be filled with the Spirit. So he says all of it, no measuring. You get all the Spirit. And so we receive the Holy Spirit, but don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I just wanted to say a couple things about this. Think about the word grieve for a second. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This tells us two things about the Holy Spirit. Number one, it tells us the Holy Spirit is a person. Just like Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, is a person, with a name and a personality and a person to be known and walked with, the Holy Spirit is a person of God to be known intimately and personally. And you can only grieve a person. And sometimes we get this thing about the Holy Spirit where he's an it or he's a force or he's a feeling. That is not the Holy Spirit. Do you know this? The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not some spiritual Jesus force. Use the force, Luke. No. No, no, no. No, 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 he's not something you tap into to do a thing. He's a person that you walk with and relate to. You can't grieve a force. You can grieve a person. See that? Secondly, the Holy Spirit loves you. Do you realize 
you can only grieve a person who loves you. You cannot grieve an enemy. You can anger an enemy. You can tick off an enemy. You can provoke an enemy. But you can only grieve a person who loves you. Which tells us the Holy Spirit is God's good gift. Who is a person of himself. He wants to give fully to you without measure. And he can be grieved because of how much he loves you and wants you to do well. Think about that for a second. It's mind-blowing. Now look at the things that can grieve the Holy Spirit around verse 30. Look back to verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members with one another. So we used to be liars, and now we're truth speakers. He says, and be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So you're not going to let things um, push you to where you lose it and you act out. You're going to lash out. You may feel anger. You're going to process it differently, and you're going to find peace in your relationships. And give no opportunity to the devil, because he will exploit those lies and that anger. Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I used to grab stuff for me at a cost to you, and now I work so that I can have something to give to other people. Do you see the transformation here? Look at this. This is, this is crazy. This is the work of God by the Spirit. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so here's God saying... All the things you do ought to be generous to other people, ought to be peace in your relationships, ought to be words that build up, ought to be building up this whole body that God's working for. And he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know what grieves the Holy Spirit, the person of God? When we mistreat one another. When we, when we use the powerful negative tools at our disposal, and in our flesh, we try to control and manipulate other people so that we get what we want, that makes God's heart sad. And what makes him happy, conversely, is when we are moving toward each other in relationships, when we are making peace with one another, when we are resolving our anger on the inside, and we are working things out, when we are putting away our envy and our strife and our malice, and instead we are being one, and we are building up one another with our words, and we are being generous with our things, that makes God's heart happy. And every parent knows this. We're about to go on a little road trip with our four kids, and they're going to be in the back of the SUV, and I'm already hoping that they apply this verse for my sake. Bless your dad's heart by getting along back there, would you? Because it grieves me. When you're contentious and fighting, do you understand how this works? And it just shows us that the Holy Spirit is a person to be received and not grieved. So receive him, don't grieve him. That's one way to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ready? Number two, engage him, don't extinguish him. Engage him, don't extinguish him. You are in a relationship with God by the Holy Spirit, and he is inviting you to work with him to do the amazing, miraculous, powerful things that he does, and he wants you to engage with him, and he doesn't want you to snuff out, quench, or extinguish the very work that happens and starts on the inside of us. So back up to Ephesians 5 and verse 18, where it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, or leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, and then look at how that is described. What's it look like to be filled with the Spirit? addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you see all the ings in there? The gerunds, English teachers, that express an activity that we are engaging in 
when we do the things that God has called us to do, that is when we engage and invoke the power of the Holy Spirit within us. It's part of the problem with cessationism is you believe that God doesn't do these things and so you never try. You believe God doesn't answer prayers for healing and so you don't pray. You believe that God won't do a sign or a wonder and so you don't ask. But he says, everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. But you have to believe that he'll do it so you engage with what he's doing. Do you see it? The Holy Spirit wants to work with you every day. And he actually wants to empower you to do the things you think you can't do. Some of you think you can't forgive somebody. You wake up every day angry and resentful, and you go, I can never get over this. And the Holy Spirit says, ooh, 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 I can help. Pick me. Now tell them you forgive them. But I don't say it. I am going to choose to forgive you. With God's help, I'm going to let you off the hook, and I'm not going to hold feelings of resentment and animosity. Here's the Holy Spirit. Wow, I did it. Why? Because you engaged with the person, the good gift of God, the Holy Spirit. And so engage him. Think about this. You can read the Bible and you can find multiple lists, lists of the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Multiple lists. You can read in Galatians chapter 5 and read about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can look all through Acts and see the power of the Holy Spirit. And around each one of those things is activity that Christians are called to walk in. Did you know that? That means when you engage with the Holy Spirit, you're going to encounter the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're going you're to walk and, and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit because he is at work and you are engaging with him. And again, your only other choice is you. And you're just not that good at this. Somebody say amen. In fact, we're quite bad. Our bad habits are bad. Our good habits are bad. We need the Holy Spirit. We've got to put the old man to death and we've got to engage with the Holy Spirit. And so we engage him. We do not extinguish him. Now this is important. It's my last point and then we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and nothing weird is going to happen. Engage him, don't extinguish him. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. This word quench is there because it's a historical word, but the Greek word there means to put out. I think a better picture for us would be extinguish. We use the word quench only for Gatorade. Quench your thirst, right? Quench is a good thing, but here it's not a good thing. And so extinguish. Now I grew up in Maryland, my formative years, zero to eight, I was in Maryland, and so we had gas appliances. We had a gas furnace and a gas water heater. Any of you guys ever grow up with the gas appliances in the basement? And, we had, and both of them, old school, had a little pilot light just inside there. That heater furnace ran. I mean, that pilot light just burned all year long, all summer. That thing would just burn. And you remember when it would go out, something would happen, a little air bubble, and it would go out, and you'd go down to the basement, and you'd smell gas. Ooh, and you turn it off, and you open some windows or blow a fan, and after a little while, what did you have to do? You'd go back in there, you turn on the valve, and you go in there with your little lighter, your long match, and you light that pilot right back up. Remember that? And that pilot's important because when you turn that thermostat to heat up your house, what happens? All that gas rushes in there, and it hits that flame, and whoosh, there's the heat. Do you see this? Now, the Holy Spirit in you, the gift of God, is like that little pilot light. It's a fire that was not there before. It does not come from you, and you cannot create it. God puts it there. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. But you actually have the power to put it out. Did you know that? You can do it. You can do it with the things you choose to do and not to do. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 22 tells us what quenching the Spirit looks like. Verse 12. 
We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You can put out the Holy Spirit by choosing to criticize your leaders. Did you know that? Because we have this tendency, in our culture especially, to objectify public figures, to turn them into a person to be talked about and not a person to be known. We look at them and we go, I don't like that. I wish they wouldn't do that. It bothers me when. If I ran the zoo, things would be better. And you know what happens to the Lord's activity in your heart? Psst. He does not like that. Be at peace among yourselves when you're at tension with other people. What do we do? And we prefer our own anger and vengeance and animosity and envy. And we go, that person gets under my skin. You're dead to me. Psst. Put him out. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. He's saying engage with people who aren't pulling their fair share. Find out what they need and help them. Some of them need a kick in the pants. Give it to them. Some of them need some encouragement. You got this. You can do it. Some of them need you to help. Figure it out with patience. Help one another. See that no one repays evil for evil, no vengeance, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Holy Spirit, because he is the one empowering this work in the community. Do you know this? And when you oppose him, you can stuff him out. And then verse 20 says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now listen, the Holy Spirit does do some supernatural things. Sometimes he speaks a message from God to a person and through a person to someone else, and that is called a prophecy. It is for encouragement and consolation, and it's always working to rebuild people into God and people into people. And it does happen, and it can be spooky, and sometimes people can do it badly and be wrong. But that doesn't mean you should extinguish the Holy Spirit. He says, just because they were wrong doesn't mean I am wrong. And so test it, hold fast to what is good, lose what is bad, and keep moving forward. Don't extinguish the power of the Holy Spirit. So he cares how we treat each other, and he cares what we do with what he says, and this is how we can extinguish the Holy Spirit. Now, the best news, and this is what I want you to leave with, because we're not going to do like um, a revival thing where everyone's going to come forward and I'm going to start knocking people over. <laughs> we're not going to do that. Because what God wants to give you through the filling of the Holy Spirit is for today, but it's also for tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and every day and every situation of your life. And it's something that you can experience every single day, every single moment of the day. And I just want to teach you how to ask God for it. And so I'm going to end with that asking. But I want to remind you of the most important part of this little pilot light illustration. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have returned to him in repentance and faith, if you have crucified the old man with Christ and been raised the waters of baptism to new life, the Holy Spirit has come into you and your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. So it matters what you do with your body, but every single day when you wake up, guess what happens? That pilot light turns back on by itself because God chose to make his home in you. And every single day, you can snuff him out again. You can go, nope, nope, nope. You can do 30 years of that. Every single day, that light will come back on, and that invitation to be filled with the Holy Spirit will be there for you to receive what God wants to give to you. Do you know that? It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is part of being a Jesus follower, and he wants to relate to you, and he will give you another single chance every single day. And you can learn to engage with him and not to quench him. You can learn to receive him and not to grieve him.
Uh, we had ended with a song in the other services, but I went over, I went to baby dedications. I want to let you guys get out of here. But I don't want to miss an opportunity for us to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. And so um, would you guys pray with me? And would you do me a favor? And if you're um, Pentecostal, this will come easy. And if you're Baptocostal, it'll be a little weird. And if you're a cessationist, you'll be like, oh, I don't know. I just want to ask you to put your hands like this. This will do nothing, by the way, by itself. But it's an expression of a heart that says, God, I need what you want to give me. And I'm not afraid to receive it. You see that? Father, I just pray right now in this moment, as you've opened our minds a little bit to understand your working in history and in our own personal lives, that you want to give us a really beautiful gift, the gift of yourself. And not just a little tiny flame that it says, I wouldn't do that. Don't say it that way. Why are we here right now? That's not right. We thank you for that little voice. But God, I thank you that there is, there is a power to be filled when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit daily. Lord, that there is, there is supernatural gifts, signs, wonders, miracles, purposes, boldness for witness. God, there is, there is an encounter with you daily to be discovered that's so much bigger than anything we've walked in. And Lord, we just want to be really good at receiving your good gifts. And so we're, we're, we're sitting here in this room with our hands open, knowing that you're alive and well and your word is alive and you are eager to fill us up. God, I pray for every person in my hearing that does not have faith in the Son of God, that knows some things about Jesus but has not surrendered their life to your control and received forgiveness of their sins. God, I pray that they would hear your voice calling them and relinquish the control of their life, that their old man would be crucified with Christ and that you would make them new and pour out your Holy Spirit into their heart. That for the first time today, that they would encounter you in them. And God, I pray that we would learn to be people who daily draw near to you to hear your voice, to read your word, to pray our thoughts and prayers and to receive from you everything we need by your Holy Spirit. God, would you teach us to be filled with the Spirit? Lord, only you can do it. I know that we are over and the kids are probably squirming back there. But it is his presence and his glory that changes us from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 3.17. I just wanted to share really quick. We do our devotionals every night with the kids in Julian's room, and we all gather um, almost every night, unless it's just 9 o'clock at night. We just pray real quick and then go to bed. But most nights, that's where we do our devotionals. And last night, um, I, I rock my sons. He's five. I still rock him to sleep every night. And I tell him every night when I'm rocking him, buddy, God loves you so much. You know you were made for him. You know you were made to love him. You know that he loves you so much. And I just, every single night, just say it to him, no matter what. And he'll, he'll respond last night, like, where is God? And I tell him, every time I tell him, I say, God's everywhere. Isn't that cool? He's everywhere all the time. Is he right here on my cheek, Mom? Is he right here? Is he in my closet? You know, and we go through this, you know, these little mini theology talks before bed. But last night, uh, he wanted to pray. And he does this every now and again, but he wanted to pray. And in his prayer, at least five times, he said, God, I just love you so much. God, I just love you so much. 
God, I just love you so much. And the Holy Spirit just, I just feel like he just wants to remind us all this morning and every day. He just wants to tell you that he loves you so very much. We sang, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Brothers and sisters, it's our only foundation. His love is our only foundation. The has said, steadfast love that has attached us to God. He has given us himself. And he's given us everything through the spirit. Every spiritual blessing. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows what you need before you even ask. I mean, you guys, that we get to come to a God every single moment of every day like this that waits to be gracious to us, that knows us by name. Our names are engraved on his hands. A God that says, my mercy and goodness will follow you all the days of your life. You guys, we get to be filled by the God of the universe who knows us, who created everything. Romans 8, 16 and 17, I'm just going to close with this. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. And if anybody's here this morning that does not know the realness of God's fatherhood, please ask him for it. Please ask him. That's all you have to do. It's ask and receive. That's the kingdom of God. Ask and receive, ask and receive, ask and receive every single time. So he makes his fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, joined with Jesus, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. Father, would you remind us all every moment of every day that you love us so very much. Thank you for the volunteers who have labored and caring for the kids. God, would you bless them? Would you let them know that you love them so very much? In Jesus' name, amen.